Hello, welcome to this month's edition of the Fit Finance Sessions. My name is Charlie Redding. I'm the founder of Efficient Portfolio, uh, and I'm joined here today uh, by my usual clan. So we've got Henry, Tim, Tom, and Toby, uh, all uh, financial planners here at Efficient Portfolio. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about the, the tax year end planning. Because we are already in February, which means the, the 2019 is marching along quite quickly, uh, there's a few things that you want to do in the lead up to the tax year end. And it's no good hearing about those at the end of March because you've got no time to action any of them. So we thought we'd deal with it in February so you've got plenty of time to take some action and to really boost your financial planning by minimising some tax before the end of March uh, and before the end of the tax year. So let's kick this off. Uh, probably the most valuable tax wrapper you can put your money into uh, from an in- income tax point of view, from a capital gains tax point of view, and also from an inheritance tax po- point of view, is the pension. So use, using your pension allowance is probably the first thing that you need to think about in the lead up to the end of the tax year. But of course, how much can you put into a pension and why is it so valuable? So. Tom, do you want to give me a little bit of a rundown as to how much you can put into the pension and just a brief summary of why that allowance is so valuable? Sure. So you can place £40,000 into a pension um, in any tax year, so long as you have relevant earnings. So if you earn £25,000 a year, you can um, put £25,000 into uh, a pension, including the tax relief. Um, and Effectively, we want to be maximising that each each tax year. Um, but there's also, if potentially your spouse is not working, you can also put £3,600 into a, a pension each year, even if there isn't relevant earnings um, from employment. Brilliant. And is that... Uh, uh, so, that, so that's the amount you can put in. Why is it such a valuable allowance? Why, why should people be putting money into pensions? Effectively, they're getting the tax back that they earned or paid during the year. So if you've paid... £10,000 in tax and you pay a pension contribution, you can reclaim that tax. So 20% for basic rate taxpayers, high rate te- taxpayers can get the 40% back. Um, generally speaking, if it's a personal contribution, the first 20 will be relief at source and the rest is claimed by the self-assessment. Brilliant. And I suppose it's been, it was said by a guy called David Back that it's the only way to pay yourself first. So you're paying yourself before the tax man takes his chunk. So that's, from an income tax point of view, really, really powerful. Um, and I suppose from a capital gains tax point of view and from an inheritance tax point of view, Toby, why is the, why is the pension so valuable? Um, so firstly, there's, there's no CGT payable um, in a pension wrapper, um, making it really tax efficient. Um, so that means the growth, growth is growing tax yeah, free. Yeah, exactly. Um, from an IHT or inheritance tax point of view, um, there's usually no inheritance tax to pay. Um, just need to be careful what type of pension it is. Some pensions, um, retirement annuity contracts, for example, they sometimes pay out into your estate, but things like uh, most of your personal pensions, a SIP being a good example, um, they're held in a, in a trust. Um, so therefore it shouldn't form part of your estate for inheritance tax purposes. So both really good reasons to, to invest in a pension um, from a tax efficiency point of view. Fantastic. And Henry, does everybody get that £40,000 allowance or does that change for people? Well, um, yes, everybody gets it provided they've earned £40,000. Um, however, 
for those who earn a lot more, so for those who earn over £150,000, the allowance can be tapered down, and is tapered down indeed by, by a pound for every two pounds over that, that, that limit, uh, to a minimum of £10,000. So if you earn half a million pounds, you have a limit of £10,000. If you earn £210,000, £10,000. And under 150, it would be 40 or up to um, up to your relevant earnings if you earned less than, than 40. As I said, the only other thing that I'd mention as well, of course, is that you can carry forward those allowances. So conceivably, you can have a much bigger allowance than 40,000 pounds if you hadn't used it in the preceding three years. So you'll always use up your allowance for this year first, but then if you only use 10,000 pounds three years ago, potentially you've got £30,000 that you could carry forward with that, which is quite useful. I've seen it with business owners quite often. They've got some retained profits in the company. They don't necessarily want to pay themselves as a salary because they're going to end up paying income tax on that. But it's quite a neat way of making a larger contribution to their pension, just drawing it out as an employer's contribution. Fantastic. And I've seen the combining of those two work quite nicely where you can see that somebody's earning more and more money and they're going to end up soon having an annual allowance of only £10,000. So actually, you can use carry forward to, to make some larger contributions now in the knowledge that in the, fu- in the future, really, pension contributions are going to be limited to a much smaller amount. Um, and we're see- certainly seeing a lot of people um, getting a, a, a tax bill as a result of those pension contributions, particularly where they're in final salary pension schemes. They're getting tax bills for um, c- contributions uh, that are over uh, that £40,000 uh, and that's something that's catching a few people out. Um, so you'd obviously want to put as much as you can in to utilise that allowance as much as possible. Are there any caveats to that, Tim, in terms of just making sure that you know you don't put too much into a pension, for example? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the biggest restraint on pensions from that perspective is the lifetime allowance. So that's for the benefit of the listeners that's excluding your state pension is the maximum amount of money in pension uh, monies that you can accrue without once you start taking the money out without, without incurring um, significant tax and that's about one million and thirty thousand pounds at the moment um, so the biggest in terms of the conversation here today in terms of trying to put as much money as you can into the pension using up these allowances prior to the end of the tax year it just be sensible just to send to check okay well what's how much what's the total amount that went pensions at the moment if by putting this amount in plus the growth that I'm likely to get between now and retirement, am I likely to exceed that figure? It's just a, a case of being sensible, not, not, not making, creating some sort of larger problem in the future, really. Okay, fantastic. And uh, and if you go over that lifetime allowance, is there, you know, what's the downside of that? Yeah, so well, there's, there's two different taxes, really, which will come out uh, to play, depending on how you want to take the money out. Any lump sums that you want to take out over and above that, one million and thirty, it's the tax is at 55%, so... Yeah, I'll make Dick Turpin blush that. Like indeed, yeah, mind around raising stuff. Um, and then any income that you take will be 25%. So it's slightly less punitive, but still, nonetheless, it's a quarter. It's a quarter yeah. of what we're talking about. So Okay, fantastic. So pensions, it makes complete sense to fund as much as possible in the, in the lead-up to the, the tax year. I think, you know, actually, it, it's been quite apparent that the government is, and that and the, uh, HMRC are less keen on pensions and more keen on alternative tax wrappers. So actually it's likely that that 40,000 could get even less in the future. Certainly it's not going up in line with inflation, so actually in real terms it is getting less each year. So it really makes sense to utilise that uh, allowance and see that lifetime allowance as a, as a target, not a limit. Um, but other than pensions, 
So I'll come back to you, Tom. What should you be doing other than uh, funding your pension in the lead up to the tax year end? Um, following pensions, then the next uh, allowance we want to use up is, is the ISA allowance of £20,000 per individual. Um, that's each. So if again, if there's yourself and a spouse, there's, there's £40,000 there that we can be using. We are paying tax on receiving the money and then paying it in, but it's tax-free when it's inside the ISA wrapper, both from income tax and capital gains, and therefore can provide a nice income tax-free stream in, in retirement to, to work alongside the pension. And quite often when I mention ISAs to clients, uh, people will say, oh, well, they just pay really rubbish interest rates, uh, so why would I bother with an ISA? So, uh, Henry, maybe, you know, what, what, what would you say if, if somebody said, well, you know, don't ISAs just pay really rubbish interest rates? Uh, certainly, I mean, the cash ISAs typically have paid fairly poor interest rates. Um, and in fact, I've seen cash ISAs paying worse interest rates than, than just general savings accounts. Um, the, the beauty now of ISAs have become a lot more flexible. And so, so you, you can move between a cash ISA as was and into an investment ISA very easily, and indeed back into a cash ISA if, if that suits you at a later date. And of course, whilst you've got the money invested, um, the reality is, or the hope is, over the longer term, you should be able to generate much greater returns than you know the 0.75% that Halifax might be offering you in, in, in their cash ISA at the moment. Okay, brilliant. So really, it's, it's, it's about getting the money invested and working that much harder for you inside the ISA allowance, so that, that tax-free growth actually is, you know, you've got a, a larger amount of growth to benefit from the tax breaks uh, you know, once, you, once you get it. That's right. um, and Toby, what would be the advantage of getting to, you know, Tom said about drawing an income from the ISAs, but when you get to retirement, if you've got money in pensions and money in ISAs, uh, what would be the advantage of that? Uh, so it's great to have a combination of both. Um, as we mentioned earlier, your pension would be outside of your estate usually. Um, I'll just carry out there, carry out that there. Um, usually be outside of your estate for inheritance tax purposes. Um, whereas your ISA would always be inside your estate for inheritance tax purposes. Your spouse is able to inherit your ISA upon your death. Um, and so they would then inherit that ISA allowance, making it tax efficient when it comes to drawing an income. But ultimately, that ISA would, would still be in your estate for inheritance tax purposes. So what we usually try to look to do is draw down an income from both. So you're reducing the size of the estate for inheritance tax purposes, and equally, you're not paying any income tax unnecessarily by drawing down from the ISA. Right, okay. So um, yeah, having that combination just allows you to draw out a much bigger income, doesn't it, without really yeah. um, you know, paying a lot of tax. Oh, oh, sorry, I was going to say, it gives you far more flexibility um, and powerful planning, really, just, just to try and retain the value of your estate and um, minimise any, any income tax payable. Okay, fantastic. So you've fully funded your pension, you've fully funded your ISA. Where do you go next? Tim, do you want to give me, give me, give me a summary of what your alternative options are once you've done your ISA and your pension to the, to the max? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, so... To, to, I suppose to encourage people to invest in um, the UK economy and, and you know, help startups get, you know, get off the ground, uh, as it were, um, there's various tax relief for sort of putting money into these sorts of schemes um, or enterprise schemes, as they were. So there's the Enterprise Investment Scheme um, and a Seed Investment uh, Enterprise Investment Scheme um, and a Venture Capital Trust. But by and large, they're all doing essentially very similar things, and that is investing money in an investment scheme which helps UK startup companies. 
um, there's very explicit criteria that you need to um, to meet to, to be able to qualify for that, but there's a, there's a myriad of different benefits to doing so. You get a, a, a range of, of income tax uh, relief in the same way that you do from, from paying into a pension. Um, so it's something that ranges from 30% from a VCT and an EIS perspective, but all the way up to 50% for paying into a, a seed EIS. Um, we might say, well, hang on, why do we get more for doing the seed? Well, there's more, essentially, that they're even smaller companies that you're investing in, so there's, there's the more risk, you know, the higher risk of doing that. Um, so from an in- income tax perspective, they're the kind of benefits in doing so. Um, I mean, most people, if you go and explore this kind of area, normally go into the VCT or EIS range. A seed EIS, I mean, you need you know, the other um, uh, benefits, I suppose, all to sort of all the ducks to align to, to sort of justify it. But but yeah, you know, that, that's kind of from an income tax perspective, that's where it sits. There's other bits and pieces that that. Um, that I suppose encourage you to do so from a capital gains tax perspective. Uh, you can defer capital gains, for example, into an EIS. So let's say you've you've um, you've got a crystallised gain in one particular year, and you know the gain in that particular year is thirty thousand pounds, for example. By immediately putting that money into an EIS, you're saying, okay, well, I'm saying to the revenue right, I don't want to pay the capital gains tax on that now. I'm happy to invest in said scheme to defer that until a later date, and when I want to sell the shares, you don't get rid of the gain. Um, but you're just saving it, I suppose, for a later date, and hopefully you'll be paying less tax in your later life than you would be in your working life anyway. So that's kind of the general idea. But yeah, to give you an overview, yeah. And of course, by deferring again, the benefit is that you also can use future. So you get your capital gains tax allowance each year, don't you? But if you, if you, when you cash your uh, the, the enterprise investment scheme in the future, you can use future years capital gains tax allowances as well. So yeah, again, more right. of it will be tax-free. Um, so from a risk point of view, because Tim mentioned that, that uh, these investments are slightly more risky, are for venture capital trusts, enterprise investment schemes and seed enterprise investment schemes, are they all the same level of risk, Henry? Or, or, or tell me a little bit about how risk works for those types of investments. Yeah, the, the, the basis of them is that, as, as Tim was outlining, is that they tend to be investments into to smaller startup companies. So VCTs typically uh, allow investments into slightly larger companies than EISs, and then seed EISs, as the name would imply, are very much it's seed capital into very, very small companies. Um, so what you're saying is venture capital trust would be slightly less risky because of... Um, because of the size, size of companies. company in which it's invested. Enterprise investment schemes would be then the next risky ones, and then the seed EISs would be even more risky. Would be even more risky, absolutely. Okay. Um, and you, so Tim mentioned enterprise investment schemes deferring capital gains tax. I know the venture capital trusts don't have anything to do with capital gains tax. But what about seed EISs? Uh, maybe, Toby, you can answer that. So how do seed EISs... Uh, help people with a capital gains tax bill? So because, as Henry mentioned, they are um, earlier startup companies, the tax benefits for investing in them is, is slightly greater. Um, so whereas an EIS would defer a capital gain, a CDIS would actually exempt that capital gain um, up to 50%. Okay, fantastic. Um, and then finally, because we're you know talking, it's not so related to inheritance tax, but it is tax related. Sorry, tax year. Um, it's not so much related to the tax year, but it is tax related. Tom, how would these sort of pension alternatives um, affect your estate from an inheritance tax point of view? Well, venture capital trusts will stay within the estate. 
um, they, they don't have as great a benefit as EIS and CDEIS, um, where effectively after two years, um, the, the value of the investment will, will leave the estate. It qualifies under the business property relief rules. I think if you're doing it solely for inheritance tax relief, there are other options available to you, but it, it is an added benefit at the same time. Okay, fantastic. And I suppose finally on this subject of, of pension alternatives for tax year end planning, is the, are these things that something that you could just go to year round and say, I want to drop some money in, or are there any restrictions on how you put money into these sorts of things? Maybe I'll come back to you, Tom. Yeah, quite, quite a few of them. I think if you're, if you're thinking about doing it, you need to be planning well in advance. Uh, pensions and ISAs are quite easy to get money into before the end of the tax year. A lot of these investments aren't evergreen, which effectively means they don't run they don't raise funds throughout the whole whole period of the year. They'll generally have a limit set as to how much they're intending to raise. And therefore, if you want to invest in those structures or specific structures, uh, depending on which investment you go into, um, it's best to be planning ahead of time and being able to diversify and pick and choose rather than being left at the end of the tax year with whatever investment is available and, and open, which generally speaking, if you're last of the party, you're picking up what's left not the ones that people didn't want yeah pretty much yeah okay um and then i suppose in the lead up to the tax year end you've also got your capital gains tax allowance to think about uh allowance that most people don't end up using uh henry is there any way that people should be thinking about um using that allowance uh to minimize tax in the future yeah for sure because because if you don't use it you lose it at the end of the year and so it makes sense if you can use it, to use it. So how so, would you use so it? So the way in which you, you would do this is you would you would look to sell part of your portfolio to crystallise profit within that portfolio. And that means you retain that profit in your portfolio. But of course, once you've sold an investment, then you've got cash. So what do you do with that cash? You can't immediately go back in and buy the old investment that's done very well and, and that you've sold. So you have two options. One is that you would wait in cash for 30 days and then you would buy back in. Or an alternative, and certainly what we see with a lot of our portfolios, is that you would go into a similar sort of stock or, or fund. So if you were in a European fund, for example, the Jupiter European fund comes in a lot of our portfolios, you'd sell out of that, move into a, a, a European tracker fund, for example. So your portfolio still retains exposure to Europe and then 30 days later, you reverse the transaction, move out of the track, or back into the European fund. And that, the impact of that capital gains tax harvesting, which obviously, as you mentioned, we do for our clients, um, where they've got portfolios that are liable to capital gains tax, the impact over the long run can be quite significant, isn't it? You know, the, the amount of tax it saves them if they were to encash the whole thing or make some significant growth in the years ahead... Uh, really uh, can be reduced quite a lot by harvesting each year this capital gains tax allowance because as as, you, as we say most people don't use up that allowance so using that is that's really valuable um, and then finally is there anything around capital gains tax with regards to losses that that people should be doing in the lead up to the tax year effectively it's in it's in, in the same way so if you can crystallize the losses so this year's been a, a year where markets have been slightly um, less kind, less kind. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's use that one. Um, then technically, you can get those those capital gains losses forward as well. Um, also, if you've got losses elsewhere in business or, or whatever it might be, then you can be using those towards tax planning in, in the future. 
Okay, fantastic. Could I just yeah. chip in there? Um, just furthering on or moving on from uh, from what Tom said. Um, with regards to losses, any losses need to be used firstly, they need to be offset in the year that any gains arise, and then they then they can be carried over. So sometimes it pays dividends to not use um, usually loss in the current tax year and just hold off for a bit so then you can use it for later planning. Okay, yeah, that's good good advice. Good advice. Fantastic. Anything else that people should be thinking about before the end of the tax year? I think we've covered everything, all the bases that I expected to cover. Um, I think the key to this though is that if each year you can minimise the amount of tax you pay and keep that little bit of extra money back in your pocket, then ultimately that extra money is going to grow, be there to grow next year and the year after that. And that compound effect means that you're likely to end up either reaching retirement sooner or having a more affluent retirement when you get there. You'll be ticking off more things on the bucket list because of the impact of saving tax along the way. So it really is worth it. It may not feel like you're saving that much money this year, but the long-term benefit of saving tax each year can be huge. So that's it for for, uh, this month's edition of the Fit Finance Sessions. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Next month, we're going to be talking about the best books you can read to learn about how to make the most of your money. So I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you very much.